0: You know, if you're at home struggling, if you're at home thinking you're a piece of crap and you're never going to amount to anything, I want to apologize to you. Somebody's put that there. Alcoholics and addicts are born with million-dollar minds. Stop hanging around ten-cent minds, guys. Come on. There's, there's a war to be won here. There's, there's, there's a life to lead. You know I've done it. Oh, it's okay for Europe. No, 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 no. Don't even go there with that crap. It's not okay for me. I had to struggle with what I struggled through. I had to go through what I had to go through. It's been a bloody battle. It was a battle, so don't say it's okay for you. What I'm saying is if I could do it, you can do it.
1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing and very, very exciting episode of The Superman Life. As always, guys, I am your host, Frank Rich, and let me just remind you what we all are about here. This is the only podcast in the world that is dedicated to helping men break free from the shackles of porn addiction through the power of faith and fitness. And we do that every single week by having incredible guests, amazing experts world changers on the conversation, on the podcast, having conversations to help you wake up, transform your life, but actually giving you practical steps and advice. And today does not disappoint. Um, You guys know how passionate I am about the brain, about studying neuroscience, about neuroplasticity, about uh, taking control and, and not feeling like we're a victim in our life. We're responsible for every action that we take. We're responsible for the outcome of our lives. And, and today's expert, today's guest uh, is, is me 30 years down the road. There's so many similarities uh, in our stories and, and, and how we view the world and how we see the world and the work that we're doing. Um, today I had the great pleasure of having Dr. Rob Kelly on the show. Dr. Rob Kelly is the CEO and founder of Rob Kelly Recovery Group. Now Dixon was always close to his heart as Dr. Kelly was born into a family that had a history of alcoholism. He began drinking and using drugs at a very early age, but he managed to stay on path to success, moving on to Oxford in the early 80s, pursuing a PhD in psychology, uh, and then had tons of, tons of financial success. Uh, and it was a series of events, kind of, you know, real kind of life changing moments, real rock bottom experiences, which we share through this story where Rob was finally able to fully wake up, uh, and, and realize that, that A1, he, he was born different, uh, this this podcast really answered a lot of questions for me about the alcoholic's brain, about is 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 this actually a disease? It uh, I learned quite a bit. So once he got to this point where he realized that, that he was different and that he had to make drastic changes in his life, he decided he was going to turn it all around. Now today, Rob Kelly is a world-renowned expert who believes in treating the problem, not the symptoms. He had worked for many years helping addicts and alcoholics to recover from their lives of this disease of addiction. Based on his own experiences of working with addict and alcoholics over the last 20 years, combined with his PhD in psychology, um, and also being a recovery alcoholic himself, he has a triple threat against the disease of addiction. Uh, he shares with you some of the things that he does in his work. He gives you guys his personal cell phone number. So if you're out there and you're struggling, uh, reach out to Rob. But guys, this is an amazing conversation. There's so much value uh, in this. So whether or not you're struggling with alcohol... This is a must listen for every single one of us because we need to be able to see these things in other people. There are warning signs um, that we can look for, whether it's in our life, whether it's in our family's life, or when the friends, people that we associate with. Um, so, without further ado, guys, let's get into today's conversation with Dr. Rob Kelly a deep dive of understanding of the alcoholic's brain. Dr. Rob, my brother, welcome to the Superhuman Life.
0: Thank you for being here. Good to be here, Frank. Looking forward to it. It's going to be an awesome. Yeah.
1: Hour. I am. I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm so fired up. Literally in just the past, you know, 60 seconds of getting the chance to talk to you before we hit record. My excitement for this show just went to like the extreme level 10. I was already fired up because, you know, I've, I've had a chance to research you and study you for the past couple of weeks. And, you know, like I was telling you, I think we see things so similar. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of dive in here and, uh, you know, really pick your brain on on uh, Neuroplasticity and, and kind of some of the rewiring mechanisms that you're doing with your clients, but um, I I got to ask you a question because uh, something I something I stumbled across this this morning, and I heard the dogs barking before we hit record. You and your wife have quite a uh, quite a collection of pups over there, is that we correct? We do. We have
0: three English bulldogs. We used to have four, but we had to rehome one, which killed us really. But yeah, we have three English bulldogs. It's my wife. She's American. She has three English bulldogs. A Range Rover, which is a British car, and a British husband, I can see a theme going on here, you know? Yeah. Plus two yeah.
1: <laughs> I love yeah, it. It's crazy. I love it. And one of your pups is uh is his name is Bentley. Bentley, is yeah. Is that correct?
0: And there's Bentley after the car, obviously. Yeah. I used to have a Bentley. I'm a Mercedes guy now. So Bentley Mackenzie uh, and uh Tobias.
1: Got it. Well, the uh the audience that has been with us since the beginning will uh will know that I I have I have a pup named Bentley as well. He made some appearances early on, um you know just like with the barking and whatnot. He's now trained. He knows when the lights are on and that is is standing in front of the you know the video that it's recording time. So he lays right next to my corner. So he probably won't make an appearance today. Uh, but when I heard that, I was like, dude, we were already, you know, I already felt the connection to you. And I was like, this guy's got a dog named Bentley. I think we just became best yeah, friends.
0: Yeah. Ex-Body Builder. <laughs> um, <laughs> so,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a whole nother thing that, that that maybe we could touch on here as well. But I think I think where I want to start today's conversation because I know the meaning we tie to things is is so important. And I know a lot of times our first introduction. Uh, to something or how it kind of makes its way into our world kind of dictates and shapes uh, the future for us uh, and, and where I want to go because I want to I want to obviously take today's conversation around the you know the alcoholic's brain is I'm, I'm, I'm curious with you you know I know the story but the audience obviously doesn't you know when did you know when did alcohol kind of you know make its first appearance into your life and and what does that first exposure to a substance such as alcohol have on the influence of our brain Um, And then obviously, you know, where does that take us in the future? So yeah, kind of of, where did all this kind of start for you uh, at a very, very young age? So
0: before I explain exactly when it started, you have to understand the uh, alcoholic brain. It's slightly different to the addictive brain in the sense that it's a predisposition. Addiction is not a predisposition. Alcoholism is. So that means you can trace your family back through alcoholism through generations. If you can't trace it back, you may be a heavy drinker or an abuser of alcohol. There is a difference. So I want to get that out the way, first of all. So I'm born this way with the predisposition biochemically uh, changed uh, in the brain. So I have uh, loads of self-sabotaging neural pathways, which is basically our thought patterns. So I remember the time it was in England, Liverpool, actually, where the Beatles were from. We were playing a, a club over there. And there was so many people there. I was shocked when the curtain opened. I kind of froze. I was nine years old out with a musical family my uncle and my auntie were singing and playing and you know I come off in the middle after the first set going on for the second and I'm so nervous and I'm kind of starstruck with everything all the lights and the people so my my uncle said here's this drink and he gave me what I know now to be half a beer but you know I drank it I didn't like the taste of it but when I took it the first few swallows it was like my whole life just changed now, I ask other people now when they're that age, you know, 10, 11, 12, your first drink, what was it like? They go, oh, my God, it was horrible. Pfft, I spat it out. I didn't want anything to do with it. I'm like, oh, well, that was different to me because when I first drank at the age of nine, I went back on stage the second half, and I was freaking amazing. I don't know whether it was, but I felt amazing. It's like John, Johnny be Good all over again. I was all over the stage. It was, you know, just amazing. So that was the first drink of the alcoholic. Which obviously destined, no matter who you are, what you are, rich, black, white, poor, makes no difference. Finally catches up on you, and unless you get treatment, it will kill you. So that's where it all started for me.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think my
1: question here is, you know, obviously you're the expert. Uh, you've studied the brain. You spent your lifetime doing this, and and obviously have you know transformed a lot of people's lives. And I know you've looked at the research. Is what you're saying? So let's say that same brain, you know, same time time period in your life had you taken you know that sip of alcohol and it maybe it wasn't in that exact scenario where it kind of gave you that sense of like relieving of the stress and kind of you had that kind of feel good feeling if it had been a different incident you know maybe where actually you you kind of drank too much and got sick would that not have changed like the, the the future like would it not have tied more of a negative uh meaning to to the alcohol because i think what i heard you say is like the brain is completely different so it doesn't matter what that first exposure. Really, really is. It, it, would that have been would that have been the case? Correct.
0: Either? I mean I drank a few times after it made me sick. It was horrible. But I still kept going back. And that's where it differs again from the normal brain. So whenever, whatever, quantities don't make any difference. Uh upbringing makes a slight difference, but not much. As soon as you take the first drink, if you alcoholism in your family, your behavior changes and your mindset changes from day one. And you'll see the alcohol uh Will have an amazing effect for the first few years, maybe. For 10, 20, 30, 40 years, even. But sooner or later, the self-sabotaging will get worse and worse and worse. And we don't we don't actually learn from our mistakes with the alcoholic brain. What happens is the self-sabotaging neural pathways are formed. So in in other words, if if this is my self-sabotaging neural pathway and this is my healthy neural pathway. This one is the leading neural pathway every single time. So the idea is try and get to that with recovery, but we're always in that. Now, what happens with this is the neural pathway has been, there are billions in the brain, guys, follow me. The neural pathway there to self-sabotage is the strongest bunch of neural pathways. And what happens is when I stop drinking and try and stop drinking you know, for a period of time, what happens usually with a normal neural pathway is it diminishes out the way so you have to really try and bring it back to that self-sabotage. Now with alcohol, neural pathways, when we drink again, it starts here. So then we're increasing the self-sabotage rather than starting from zero where we might get a week, a month, even a year where we can drink successfully with alcoholics we you're back to that point right there. You don't get this grace period. So there the self-sabotaging will always be worse. It will never be better
1: got it yeah so i you know a lot of the work that that i do with men in in, in in the way that i you know break it down is is you know with porn addiction like we go through an unwiring and rewiring process the unwiring is eliminating off the consumption and over a period of time those neural pathways are, that are wired to need the pornography will begin to get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and then the rewiring process is then where you kind of play offense it's like okay now what kind of tools and strategies can we look to build those those better connections but what i heard you say is like with the alcohol, there's no real unwiring. It's it's kind of just like you know you could take a year, two years, five years off, and then you have that first drink again. It's like you're already back in kind of the top level uh, response That's mechanism. That's explained
0: beautifully. Yeah, got it. And and with addiction, for got those it. guys watching, it's like this. So when we go into therapy or we go into treatment or we start acting the right way, repetition strengthens and confirms you know, hanging around with the right crowd, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, then this yeah. becomes a self-care, like you say, but this is always here. And what happens is, bang, you start from there. So it's it's more destroying than an addiction as a whole. they present themselves the same way when you're an addict, you know, you've kind of used, you kind of like it, you get, you get accustomed to it, it becomes like a, a, a habit, and then it becomes an addiction. Both as hard to break, don't get me wrong, guys, saying drug addiction is easy and saying alcoholics are born drug, addict- drug addicts are made
1: yeah this is this is fascinating this has been incredibly um insightful for me over over the weeks and getting prepared for today because and i'm curious your your take on this you know i i don't or i didn't at least until t- you know today really subscribe to addiction is a disease like I, I i never really believed that because a disease is something that i don't feel you have power over changing. But but from what I'm hearing you saying, there is a disease component. So how do you kind of phrase that? Like, do you look at alcoholism as a disease or is it, is it deeper or is there a better word for it?
0: There, definitely. <clears throat> it's a disease. I mean, in 1995, the World Health Organization classed it as a disease. And, and the reason why they did is we have no control over it. So you have control to a certain degree. Again, guys, bear with me. This is all my evidence-based research over 30 years. So it's it's a fine line between the addict and the alcoholic. But what happens basically is it remaps our brain. Now, everybody asks me, Frank, what's the gateway drug? And the answer is always the same. It's trauma. So predisposition, born this way, chemically imbalanced, remap brain from birth, uh, and and, and we're off to, to the races right there and then. But let me explain what trauma is because... Most people say, well, what's the trauma in, you, in your childhood? And they go, well, I've not been in any car accidents or plane accidents. And they say, no, 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 That's what's the trauma? And they go, I don't know. So I always say this to them, and this is researched, evidence-based, again, by, by Rob Kelly Recovery Group. It's me and my brother, for instance, are sat on the kitchen table, and my mom walks in, and we're not supposed to be on the kitchen table, and my mom says to my brother, Paul, Paul, <laughs> will you get down off that table? You stupid idiot, get down off that table. So he gets down because that's what he hears mum say. She says the same thing in the same, toast at the same tone at the exact time to me, but what I hear with my distorted neural pathways with alcoholic brain, get down off that chair, you stupid idiot, get down, is what I hear. And that's where people go, what? And I go, yes. And we're still trying to, this is new research as in 20, 30 years old. It's, you know, in, in 10 years' time, all this research will be common knowledge and everybody will do it. But we're breaking the boundaries all the time, going into neuroscience and behavior because at the end of the day, alcoholism has got 1% to do with alcoholics. You know, alcohol has got hardly nothing to do with it. It's about my brain, it's about my central nervous system, it's about my behavior. And once we start to know that, we can move forward and say, Hey, my dad said it all the time, Frank. Why can't you just stop drinking because of your children? If I could have just stopped drinking because of my children, I would have done. I end up losing them in the end because of alcoholism. So no, alcoholics do not have a choice whether they drink or not. It's a self-sabotaging, chemically-based disease. I will always, after a period of time, pull everything down on my head. Job, car, house, wife. I'm looking good for the period of time at the beginning. but I was always self sabotaging
1: yeah this is this is this is so good um so what are the warning signs because you know you talked about it at at the beginning you know you kind of look at you know family lineage you know like maybe maybe your parents or maybe sometimes it skips a generation so we have that you know where we can just you know if we have some self-awareness like look at our look at our family and see if it's been a trend but you know not a lot of people actually gonna gonna do that And, and and also probably not at a young age are you equipped to even be Able to process that, so so what are other warning signs? You know, it's not like we, we obviously don't have a lot of young, you know, young kids listening to this, but maybe with their children, or maybe you know, maybe if, if, if they're already in it, like what are some signs that people could look for if they to, to know that if they if they do have an
0: alcoholic's brain? Well, what you must know is the parents, okay, the parents know the child doesn't. I didn't know at nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, I didn't know, nobody told me, nobody, nobody had a conversation with me. So if you're a mom and dad to a teen, you know if there's alcoholism in your family, if you're a woman or your husband's family and vice versa. You know there's been alcoholism and maybe addiction in the family. That's the warning sign. Dialogue is all I say to dialogue. Tell your 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old uh, uh, kids about alcoholism and about how there's devastation in the family from the past. And be careful. Now, the age is 9, 10, 11. They're not going to think much of it. but. Everything that's said and done to us, everything we see and hear is filed away in the subconscious brain. That's where the disease lives, in the subconscious brain. So it's going to be there. And then when it happens, they take the first drink and they feel different. That's the warning sign to the child and you to monitor that first drink and, and see if it's skipped a generation or it's caught your kid. And if your kids twelve or thirteen, by the time it takes their first drink, watch the behaviour, watch the isolation, watch they're not coming down to dinner, you know, like you used to do. Watch the time up, you know, off school, whatever it may be. There'll be a change of behaviour that always is. I can spot an alcoholic from a mile away. You walk into the door, I can tell by looking at him. I can tell how he acts, how he sits down, without even speaking to him. So there are lots of signs there for parents to look out. But start that dialogue early, guys.
1: Are, are, is there anything that you can articulate? I, obviously, I know that this is due to, you know, your work of being, you know, working with thousands of addicts over the last 30 years that you can, you can do that. But is there anything that you could share with us that, that, you know, as far as like how to identify in it? How do they approach the room? How do they scan? How do they interact with other people? How do they sit? Are these, are these signs that, you know, somebody like myself that maybe hasn't spent, you know, a lot of one-on-one time, like, You see what I'm saying? Like, are there actual, you know, signs that we could see in their behavior? Uh,
0: The the drinking at parties and heavy drinking is one. The isolation is two. When you see somebody uh, shine away from the spotlight. So if, if there's a bunch of chairs and they sit at the back, that's also another sign. Don't like to talk in public. Don't like to draw attention to themselves. And this is the part when they know that they need alcohol to carry on through the life. So them signs are always there, especially the unkempt look uh, and the isolation. But, yeah, people, alcoholics who are struggling tend to cow down, tend to stay small, uh, don't don't mix in large groups. You know, the isolation is number one. We love to do that. So that's the case. That's the kind of stuff that the normal person, the layman person can look at, you know. And if you're, if you're mom and dad, then obviously you've got a better look from the isolation in the bedroom and the people I hang around with, again. If you hang around with nine depressed people, you will become the 10th. So that's the other thing as well. Watch the friends that hang around. If they're known for drinking and, and drugging at an early age, then your kid may be in danger. Because what happens to the alcoholic brain that doesn't happen to the normal brain is where it shows up the same at a period of time that everyone's heavy drinking, everyone's hungover, everyone's just getting in this grade. But nine out of 10 people with that will come out of that and go to college. The alcoholic can't come out of it. He is doomed for failure.
2: Yeah. Wow. This is, this
1: is, this is, this is so good. So I want to get back to, to, to your story a little bit, because, you know, we had this first introduction nine, like, it, it, you know, felt amazing. You kind of, you know, you got over that, that fear, you're rocking with the, you know, rocking with the family band on stage. And and now here we are, you know, fast forward, you know, a long way away, and you're 30 years into, you know, your work and your research. And, you know, what I love about it is, is everything you're sharing. It's not anecdotal. Like you said, like this is evidence-based research but i know that there's a there's a big gap there and it wasn't a smooth ride um so let's get back to kind of like you know pick the story back up where you want but i want to kind of obviously go through the journey graduating kind of getting in the corporate world and heading the rock bottom on the streets all that stuff so let's let's use that and then we'll you know we'll obviously interject and and, and pull more out but yeah so where you know like like what was the next kind of kind of phase in, in life for you
0: the next kind of phase for me was the confidence phase with the alcohol. It's, I'm, I I was a musician, obviously, age I nine playing bass. I can play any instrument, but I was on bass. And uh, I looked around. I was always a smart kid. And I looked around, and I saw a a studio that was advertising in Stockport outside Manchester, and it was a studio called Strawberry Studios where they recorded uh, commercials and and stuff for radio and TV. And and it was owned by 10cc, actually. So I went there, all cocky and everything, and I applied for a, a, a... session bass player, and I got the job and I realized that these guys were paying me extortionate amounts of money just to sit in a studio and play the guitar, the thing I did every day. I was around my neck 24 hours a day when I was growing up as a kid. So I knew that was cool and I could drink and take it easy, even it wasn't heavy drinking. I a few beers. But then what happened was, when I was about that was about 14, 15, I think. When I was around 16, I saw an ad in the Melody Maker, which is a British music magazine, and it was advertising for a bass playing uh, session musician at Abbey Road in London. Well, that's the guy where the, the Beatles recorded. That's the big, Abbey Road is the mecca of the music industry. Well, I'm cocky and I can play the bass like nobody else, as far as I'm concerned. You ask me any time during my life, bass and, and doing what I do that best in the world, period. Don't even start the argument. Best in the world, end of story. I have the addictive brain, remember? So I went for the job and uh, I had a beer outside for I went in, passed the first audition. The letter came a few days later, opened it up. I had seven auditions for that position. So I had like an extra beer every time I went in. So I had seven beers before I went in. I could hardly see or walk. And then I sat down, I played my beer, went home. And four or five days later, I got the letter to say that I'd got the position. Now, what does that tell me? It tells me that every time I drink alcohol, I'm successful. So I continued drinking. I I did sessions with uh, Elton John, David Bowie, Queen, all them great guys. You know, I had early morning conversations with Freddie loads of times it was amazing beautiful man and introduced me to not him the actual industry introduced me to cocaine so i was cocaine and alcohol i was driving Porsche 911s when i was like 18 put myself through college now i joined the freemasons early in england very prestigious and very secret but a friend of a friend knew i could play the organ they got me in a year before i should i think 17 is the thing I got in early, and the money I got from Abbey Road paid me because they referred me to Oxford University. I should have never gone to Oxford. And it always felt like, I don't know, like a, an imposter, always. But I went through college, drinking, drinking, drinking. It was amazing. I found people who could drink like me. It was phenomenal. But after a period of time, when it comes to tests and exams, they dropped off to go and study, and I'd stay in until 2 or 3, go home, bang some cocaine, and back into the school the next day try and take the exam. So that was the next stage and the Abbey Road stage. I paid for an amazing life. Absolutely amazing life. But still successful, right? Still doing my deal. Bought the big house. Met a girl. Got married. She saw my alcoholism, you know, expanding to to, to unnormal uh, behaviors and, and actions. So we did, thought, decided to have one child, and that would calm me down, and the father, and I'll behave. And I remember going to the hospital. She had the baby. I held the baby in my arms. And I said to my wife, I swear I'll never drink alcohol again. This is my baby. I love this baby. Four hours later, I was drunk because uh, I had this disease. So during a little bit of violence in the house, we decided to have two, another child. So when I went down to the hospital a second time, you know, I, I took two Bibles with me. And when the baby was born, I held her, I handed it back to my wife. I got the Bibles out. I stuck two hands on two Bibles and I swore to God and I swore to my to my child and, and my wife that I'd never drink alcohol again. And if you would have put me in a lie detector right there and then, Frank, I would have passed it. We've done studies on that as well. I would have passed the test as being truthful. Uh, six hours later, I was drunk again. I didn't still have a problem, though. It was just I was celebrating. I was earning a lot of money. But, you know, people used to walk past our house and go, wow. Wow, look at that porch, look at that Bentley. Oh, my God, these guys have got it made. It was mayhem behind them curtains and blinds, Frank. Right? But Beating my wife, uh, stabbing her three times one night because she wouldn't let me finish drinking my bottle. She followed me downstairs and snatched it off the side at three o'clock in the morning. And I stabbed her three times and I took the bottle off her and I finished the drink. Uh, this is the behavior. Still didn't think it was an alcoholic, Frank. And then I stabbed her. I went to Spain. I fled to Spain to stay away because I I've gone and going to arrest me for attempted murder because she lived. But I won't come back. About a month later, the, the attorney sorted it out, and I came back. And when I came back, Frank, she had my two kids there and the, and the suitcases. And she said, I love you till the day I die, Rob, but I'm not staying because you're going to kill the kids. Because I'd fell down on them. I'd, I'd left them in cinemas while I went for a drink. Just some horrible stuff. So she went, and I got onto my attorney. Still cocky, still not taking any shit from anybody. And I said to my attorney, go and get my kids and I'll give you a check for, I don't know how long, £10,000 maybe, I don't know. So the next day they brought them back, Frank, our two kids. She—they'd He'd been to court and got some sort of injunction. I remember taking him in the, the room, Frank, and this is why it's a disease. I remember sitting in front of the TV, with all the stuff that's just happened, all the crap and craziness of just happening, the beating, the stabbing, all that stuff that I did but didn't remember. I sat my two kids in front of the TV. I walked into the kitchen and the thought pattern hit my head. Wouldn't it be great to have one beer to celebrate my kids coming back? It's the last thing I remember. And two days, three days, I don't know how long, the police smashed the door down because daddy's been on an alcoholic rampage. There's bottles all over the place. The kids have not been fed for two days or change diapers, I'm unconscious on the floor, they slapped me to wake me up, and they, did, and they handed me papers that said unfit father, and they took my two kids off me, Frank, and I remember walking through the door, and there was the authorities, there was the police, there was a the wife, there was a the mother, there was child protection services, and they walked down the path, and my, 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 my daughter was holding onto mommy's hand as she walked past, and she said these three things to me, she said, daddy, daddy, please don't go, And they walked down the path further. And she turned around again and said, Daddy, Daddy, please get better. And as they reached the gate and opened this big gate, she turned around one more
2: final time. And she says, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And I couldn't do it,
0: Frank. I went back to the kitchen. I opened another beer. Six or seven months later, the wife had gone. The kids had gone. The house had gone. The license had been taken off me for practice. Um, I was homeless, I went to my friends I went to acquaintances and eventually I was on the street and my first night on the street, I remember sat there and thinking to myself, where the hell did that just go wrong and I stayed there for a year friend. and every day was a battle now I'm a fighter, you know, martial arts boxing, bodybuilding, you know I was I was this guy that nobody would touch anyway but I woke up one morning on the bench 5 o'clock in the morning, the guy next to me had been stabbed to death for his, for his sneakers you know, but What happened there? I was bare knuckle fighting for money with the gypsies. You know, I was just, I I, I don't do losing very well. But here I am on the streets, laying in the gutter, still looking down on people. What the hell's that all about? Still didn't think I was an alcoholic, Frank. Here's the crazy part. I just thought I was going through some bad luck. But after 14 months on the streets, I dropped down to my hands and knees and I started to cry from my belly. It was about two or three, four or five. I don't know what time in the morning. It was pouring down. I'm on my hands and knees. My belly's aching and crying. I could see the tears mixing and hitting the cobblestones. And I looked up to the sky and I said, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. And 30 seconds later, a guy walked around the corner on the back ends of Manchester. Nobody should have been there. He had a little Bible in his hand. He came over and said, you need help? And I said, yes. And he said, Come on, you come back to my house. I shaved and dressed and showered for the first time in a year. He gave me some good home cooked uh, food and that's where my journey started
2: to where I am today. Wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you so so much for for sharing that much detail.
1: And and obviously this is, you know, I don't I don't feel too many people can, can resonate with uh the experience of, of what you've gone through, but you know, whether they're, they're struggling with porn or they're struggling with alcohol or, or even maybe struggling with, like, looking themselves in the mirror and just the conversation of, like, taking responsibility for your life. It's like we always try to justify uh, behavior or justify lack of taking action for one way or the other. Um, and I know it's obviously not going to do much for, for you and, and your life and your journey. You're obviously, you know, you turned your life around. And, you know, like you said, you're the best in the world now with, with helping, you know, alcohol addicts. But if you had a chance, Rob, to maybe go back and, and and say something to yourself or, you know, that guy that's that's listening right now and, you know, he's justifying his behavior for what, whatever reason, you know, what would the words, you know, if you had a chance to speak to Rob back then, what would you have said to yourself? Like knowing everything you know now, what would you have said
0: to yourself well, look, in that moment? You know, people often ask me that question and the answer is crazy, people might think, but. When I look back on my life, uh, it's all about being where I am today. You know, so I I would just say to my to my younger self, it's going to be OK because there were suicide mm-hmm. attempts, you know, on two occasions. I actually killed myself and, they, you know, my heart stopped and they brought me back to life. But I'd say it would be OK because what happens now, Frank, is all all the stuff that I went through. Uh, my youngest daughter still never speaks to me. She still wants nothing to do with me. I've never seen her in 20 years. So what happens is the experience I have from the past then becomes my greatest asset moving forward because many people will come up, especially if they come to their home office and they go, wow, look at you, Dr. Rob, the big million-dollar house and the cars you drive. What do you know, Rob? I mean, I've just been I've become homeless and my wife's left me. What do you know? And I go, sit down, buddy. Let me tell you about my experience. So the answer would be, it's gonna be okay, only because I needed to go through that. I mean, it painful as it was, and the amount of people that I hurt on my journey because I hurt a lot of people, a lot of people, especially when I was bodybuilding and was taking steroids. And you know, I was I was a maniac when I, I I was knocking people out just for fun, and it was horrible, absolutely horrible, you know. So that's why tell me it's like just that it's gonna be okay, but I never I never thought that through my journey though. I always knew I was gonna die in the streets. of people on the streets in Manchester, Frank, get off the streets. 97% die on the streets. And I was happy to do that. I was really happy to do that. But, you know, somebody saved me. And then I was intrigued. What the hell is this alcoholism? Why can't I get a grip Or other guys? Bodybuilders, fighters, leaders of, you know, all these guys that I knew, they were always hit across the head with alcoholism. And I was intrigued and I swore. When I got off the streets, that I'm going to spend the rest of my life studying this disease like nobody else has, and getting a solution for the guys that are still struggling, and that's what happened.
2: What what percentage of of alcoholics
1: do you, do you see like are are high performers? You know, peak, like peak achievers. You know, um, I, I had a conversation with I don't know if you're familiar with Dr., uh Stephen Pressfield. He's a best-selling author. Wrote The War of Art. Um, and we, we briefly touched on, and, you know, he talked about the creative brain, uh, cause he's, you know, he's, he's a creative person. So talked about the creative, you know, the creative brain kind of, you know, somebody that's, that leans more towards the creative side, they're, 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 they're more susceptible to, to addiction because many times, uh, you know, an addiction is kind of a replacement of creativity. Like you can't sit in, 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 in the shoulder right now. So you seek out this, like this, this, this exterior thing to, to mask the emotions, mask the feeling. And obviously, with you, and I know for me as well. Like you know, the things that made me a you know a, a decent, good bodybuilder. You know, things that made me a a good business owner. Like also made me a good addict, uh, if, if you know what I mean. Like they're like a lot of the same. So, so what has been your you know your experience with with seeing alcoholics? Like, are they successful? And then, what role does their life success, you know, maybe play in them not telling the truth to themselves about the actual real depth of the problem?
0: So, the alcoholic brain. Before we go into chronic alcoholism is amazing. We think different, we act different, and we're tunnel visioned. If we wanna be a millionaire, we'll become a millionaire. That's it, nobody's gonna stop us. You know, best brains in the world. So what happens when we go through a period of this drinking, if we survive it and we get sober, I'm a recovered alcoholic, I've recovered from that bullshit I was going through, then the mind and everyone else's is is the best brain in the world. Everybody's successful. Now, whether you wanna be the head road sweeper, you'll do it, or whether you wanna be a, a, a millionaire, or a CEO, they do it. I only hire recovered alcoholics because when we put our mind to it, I mean, and everything that goes with that, Frank, it's like I signed a a million-dollar contract for a lease in Dallas in a prestigious medical building, and people are coming up, my staff going, Rob, how do you sleep at night? You've got a million dollars. And I go, what are they going to do to me? What, take the office away? Take Christmas off me? What are they going to do to me that i have not already been done? And that mindset... Uh. Of, you know, I often say to people, you know, if you're at home struggling, if you're at home thinking you're a piece of crap and you're never going to amount to anything, I want to apologize to you. Somebody's put that there. Alcoholics and addicts are born with million dollar minds. Stop hanging around 10 cent mines, guys. Come on. There's, there's a war to be won here. There's, there's, there's a life to lead. You know, I've done it. I mean, oh, it's OK for Europe. No, 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 no. Don't even go there with that crap. It's not okay for me. I had to struggle with what I struggled through. I had to go through what I had to go through. It's been a bloody battle, you know, till a certain about 20 years ago when I recovered from this bullshit. It was a battle, so don't say it's okay for you. What I'm saying is if I could do it, you can do it. And that's my message to everybody in the areas. I wish I could st- sit here, guys, and go, hey, I'm kind of special. No, there's nothing special about me, you know? If you do A, B, and C, you know, D will follow and it's just, I mean, people freak out. They go, oh, you know, I i i don't know if I can. Or I, I was breaking records since the year nine, nine. You know, I remember going to a show for the juniors. I was 19 years old. I, I blasted the competition away. Oh, you, you better go in the misters. And I, went, I blasted the competition away. That's always been my mindset. What's next to achieve? And and this is what I teach people. It's stop putting brakes on your imagination, guys. It's like quantum physics. Let's take quantum physics, for instance. It says I could be 25 places on a basketball court at the same time because nothing's really solid. Quantum physics, tried and tested. Okay, so where do I want to be? I want to be over near the goal. I get the ball, I slam it in the net, and bang, I'm the hero of the game. So people go, Rob, I know you can visualize it and stuff. I know you actually can. How are you going to get there? Listen up. I'm going to walk over. I'm going to take that position. I'm not going to beg for it. I'm not going to ask for it. It's my position. It's mine already. What you can visualize in your head, 100% you can hold in your hand. Just get belief. You see, we're, so, we're all so empowered, but we don't know we are.
1: Yeah, and I think I just want to add to that. Before you can hold it in your hand, you have to visualize it in your mind. Like You cannot experience anything in reality without it going through your brain. And experience it in your mind first. I, I love what you said there when you're like, what's, what's the worst that's going to happen to me at this point? I've lived on the streets. I've been at the point of trying to take my own life, you know. And it's like, I get, you know, I get these guys all the time. It's like, why haven't you, you know, why haven't you spoken to anybody? Like, you've been struggling with this for five years. I'm talking about guys, you know, with the porn addiction. Oh, I'm worried about what people are going to think. I'm worried about what somebody's going to say about me. Listen to your own internal dialogue, the conversations you're having inside of your own head are exponentially worse than anything that anybody's ever going to have to say about you. So the question, Rob, is, you know, you had to get to to rock bottom. So many people have to go through that moment? How do we get the guy to wake up? Like if his life hasn't hit rock bottom, but he is an alcoholic and he's having success because the brain is, you know, like you said, like we've been given million dollar minds. How do we get that guy to wake up before he gets to the point where he's looking at his daughter being taken away from him? Daddy, daddy, please get help. Daddy, daddy, please stop. What is something like, how do we get the guy to like smack him in the head and wake him up
0: today? It's more people like me and you that are out there that's telling the truth and going, Hey guys, you know, Mm. it's going to be okay. Let me tell you, let me walk you through this. Doesn't matter what problems you're going through. stop being selfish. Get over it. Find out you're important. Find out you're empowered. Get somebody like me in your face every day. Repetition strengthen and confirms. How do you think somebody gets 20-inch arms? You think they sit around feeling sorry for themselves? No. You know, they go out repetition every day. They think. You know, I had the pleasure, absolute pleasure of hanging around in the early days with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, I'm telling you his fame about 78, 79, when this underground movie just came out called Pompey mm. Night. And he came over yes. to England, to Manchester, do to a tour. Now, I belong to NABN, National Amateur Bodybuilding Association, and they had brought him over. So I got, and me and a friend, got to pick him up from the airport and take him to the hotel. Now, listen, guys, this is really important. This crazy guy that was just mind-blowing, his physique was just mind-blowing, you know, was, was sat in a hotel, and I wanted to pick his brains. And I'm like, hey, Arnold, can you you know, what you're going to do with your life. I mean, you can't really speak English and he's bodybuilding that yeah And he sat me down and this is what he said to me. And I've never forgot this, Frank. He said, I'm going to do three things in the world. I was like, okay, what, be a doorman or something or a bodyguard? And he said, no. I said, let me tell you, I will become the highest paid actor in the world in movies. Well, we tried not to laugh because the guy couldn't speak English. I said, what else, Frank? He said, I want to become a governor of a state. I just want to be a governor. He's like, what state? And he said, something like California, Sunshine State. And we laughed and stuff. And you know, it's Florida, Sunshine State, but well, we didn't say anything to him. And then we said, what else? What's the third one? And this is the one that blew me away. He said, I'm gonna marry into the Kennedy family.
2: And we're all looking around, going, There's just no way,
0: Arnold. You just bang, bang, bang. Mindset. All about mindset. You see, he visualized that stuff when he was back home in grass. You know, he visualized that stuff when his father died and he didn't go to the funeral because he had a competition and was training for it. He visualized that moment and hell yeah, it come true. Why would it not come true? You know, why would it not come true? So these guys and me, when we're struggling going through this stuff, you know, just dialogue again. Get over somebody like me and just say, give me a 10-minute pep talk that will change my life. Because that's what it's about. Because what you hear and what you see is important to us. Now, I say all the time to guys, you are so empowered and you will never know. We'll never know. Like me and my friend were going through some pictures the other day. And we found an old picture of me and him when when we were competing. And we're like, oh, my God. He said, Rob, have you seen this? I'm like, oh, my God, look how well we looked. Look, how our waist was so small. Oh, my God. Jimmy, those were the days, weren't they? And he said, yeah, Rob, those were the days. And I stopped there for a second. I had two thought pounds. First of all, we didn't know then that those were the days. We didn't know. And what if today's one of those days? So I lived to life the fullest today. And everybody out there who's struggling can do the same. And I'll tell you why. Everyone keeps saying, Rob, yeah, again, it's okay for you. I put my money where my mouth is. I'm the only company in the world that will offer a money-back guarantee of you getting an amazing life and stopping drinking and taking drugs. The only person in the world. So listen, while we're chatting away here and you're thinking, yeah, but, yeah, but, if you want a 10-minute chat, power chat, that will change your life, not selling you anything here. We would have to sell this crap. Listen, call me, 214-600-0210 and go, hey, Dr. Rob, I need a 10-minute power talk to change my life free of charge just do it. Just do it. Because this, is, I'm in the trenches, guys. I'm still of the mindset of having nothing, of living on the streets, of getting up as if this was my last day today. And again, nothing special about me. Come and join us. If I can change your life, I will.
1: I love that. And and by you doing that, like you're forcing me to to level up what, what I'm doing here. I'll I'll talk to anybody for 15 minutes for free, but. I'm not giving up my phone number, so maybe I need to, maybe I need to reevaluate, like, how much I actually care about people. Brother, that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, we'll get that number, you know, if you guys didn't catch it, obviously, as you we were sharing it, it'll obviously be, be uh, notated down in there, down there in the show notes. You now, I love, I love the Arnold story, and I just, I, I, I want to share a quick conversation I was having yesterday, because a lot has kind of transpired in my own personal life. Uh, and I think it resonates with with, with, with you know what that, that Arnold story you know because he did all three of those he married Kennedy and he obviously became you know the highest paid actor at 25 million a year back in like the 90s it was insane and then we, we we know the governor piece when I was at probably one of the darkest points in in my life and really struggling with my porn addiction it would have been around 2015 I coming off the back end of a, a horrible breakup that, that just tore me apart um, I was I was deep into drugs I was doing a lot of A lot of party drugs you know molly ecstasy type of things i remember having a conversation though with somebody that was a very close friend of mine so i really looked up to who's a huge success he was a wwe superstar like one of the biggest names like in like in that industry and we're at a strip club one night and we're like we've been doing some drugs and i had had a business that was doing well we were doing about half a million uh, a a year but he knew i wasn't happy and he goes he goes frank what do you really want to do like like, i guess i can tell you're not happy in this business and I, I didn't have big dreams as a kid i didn't want to be like the doctor or like i just always thought i wanted to kind of be an op, like an entrepreneur or business owner. i wanted to be the one in charge now of course this conversation like we got to the point where it's like if i could really do anything uh kevin and, and this is what i told him i was like i would love to work behind the scenes helping other people build their businesses i want to have one big success for me but then i want to be able to help and coach other individuals and help lay the ground uh you know lay the foundation You know, my life has gone down a crazy, crazy journey. You know, I I hit rock bottom in that business, you know, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I, you know, had to get back. I was driving Uber and delivering groceries just to kind of make things manage. Well, this last year has been amazing. You know, with the the launch of the podcast two years ago and then developing Rebuild Recovery, which is our, you know, our addiction recovery business, you know, we've quickly scaled this to, you know, six figures, be multi-six figures by the end of the year. And because of that, I just this past month got the opportunity of a lifetime. What I dreamt about, back in 2015. I now work inside of a business coaching mastermind, helping other startup entrepreneurs build and launch their businesses. But all that had been planted. It's like I had envisioned it and written it down in my journal and planned it. And like it didn't happen like overnight, but by me taking daily action, by me taking responsibility for my life and cleaning everything up, because that was the beginning of me getting over my own addiction. So so what Rob is saying is, is so incredibly powerful. Like you have to envision your life before it's gonna become reality which is why we do a major part of that inside of our recovery i want to get back to um to you though because you know major success on the you know on the streets and then you then you find this guy you know you're praying and then somebody kind of shows up obviously we know you know like that's you know god has added hands on you since then so i'm curious because your your previous work wasn't in you know the neuroscience work field like you weren't studying the brain. So what was it once you got kind of, you know, once, once this guy saved you and you, you now began working on your own self, what was it about the brain that really intrigued you and how did you get into the work that you're doing today?
0: Well, it's intriguing because I I, I couldn't stop and, and loads of people I was with who suffered from that with 12-step meetings I went, went to couldn't stop. And I'm like, how come we can achieve everything else in the world, but we can't stop drinking alcohol? What's that about? You know, what's that self-sabotaging act about? And that's what really got me into the brain, looking at what really happens in the brain, like the hypothalamus, you know, which is at the base at the back of the brain. The hypothalamus tells a normal human being to drink water and eat food. It's a fight or flight part of the brain. It's never wrong, you know? That's why we never have to teach babies how to eat. So when it's hungry, it will put his fist down its mouth and stuff like that, or cry. We don't have to teach people that. Do you know what the hypothalamus tells the alcoholic during the uh, the benders is uh, drink alcohol? And that's why alcoholics can go days, even weeks, without water or food. So when you're up against your brain, self sabotaging your brain, then that's a battle I want to get involved with. Is that how can we how can we get a, get around that? You know how can we how can we work that into our getting well for good? There's a great book out there that's I've me in a go to. He talks about permanent recovery. And that's what I was sold on, permanent recovery.
2: How do we get permanent recovery? And like I say, the alcohol is essential. I remember walking outside a shop once night, while uh, of the drinking days, and uh, I had a vest on. I had a pair of shorts and a pair of flip-flops. At 5.30 in the morning, it's snowing, and I'm sweating profusely. I'm waiting for this guy to open at 6. Now, he knows me. He can't serve alcohol till 10 or something, but he knows me. He opens the door at 10 to 6 come in, Rob. And I walk in this not this normal day. I'm sweating, banging headache. If I don't drink, and am going into BT's and I'll probably die. I put my £10 on the counter. He puts the bottle of vodka on the counter. I put my hand on the handle and I go... My headache stopped. My shaking stopped. My mood changed. I was calm and collected. And I looked at him and I looked at my hand on the bottle, not even opened the bottle. And I thought, holy shit. Not the alcohol, my brain, and that's what set
0: everything off. And then we did loads of tests on the way. Like you know, we, we found out that you know an alcoholic or addict sat at home with the with the uh, neural pathway going self-sabotage, drink alcohol, and the dealer or the or the liquor store, which was the most enticing and and, and really nice journey. It was the journey there. It was the journey there, because when we take the alcoholic drugs, we're kind of gone into that dull mindset. We can't think, and we waste wasted. It was ju- the journey from the house to the liquor store on the dealer that was the most intoxicating. So then we delved into that work and we find out that I can tell when people are about to relapse. Now, if the, if the disease is in the subconscious brain, how can I do that? It's all about behavior. So then I went back to school. I got a second PhD on behavioral science. Now I know what people do. Now I know the signs, the actions, if you've been drinking, there are all the, you know, 3,000 signs and indications here that I can tell when someone's not in a great place, I'm probably going to relapse. So that probably, that's probably the most, for me, intoxicating journey, no pun intended, of, of the brain is like it's not like the normal brain. And nobody's studying this. And the reason why nobody's studying this is there's no money in recovery. If you can't pay a 30 grand fee to go in a treatment center, or the pharmaceutical company can't give you a pill, then nobody wants to know. And that's where we were stuck, banging my head for a long time against the wall, Frank. Nobody believed me, but people getting well. When you have a 97% success rate over 25, 30 years with almost 7,000 patients, people start to listen. And we've dealt with the biggest movie stars, the biggest footballers, and the local road sweeper. It doesn't make any difference. But I'll tell you what makes a difference is every single one of them has changed. and got a life back. Almost a hundred percent guaranteed success rate. Because we're serious about what we do. This isn't about the money. I could be tired tomorrow. I drive a Mercedes McLaren. I wear Rolex watches. I have a big house. Not to brag, but shit, I could I could I could be tired tomorrow to Florida or something. I'm actually in Texas right now. Why don't I do it? It's not about the money. This is about getting people well. We do twenty percent of our work pro bono. We give almost two hundred thousand dollars away last year to people who can't afford to get the kids back. People can't afford the first six months' rent. People can't afford the car taking kids to school. That's what we do behind the scenes. Charity organization. I spent the last week speaking at a PTSD, uh, PTSD uh, meeting where they were fellow veterans and EMT workers. You know, I did I did like two hours there plus the prep. Nobody sees this behind the scenes that I do. I'm always giving them back. They didn't see the hundred uh, hamburgers that we bought from McDonald's and took them under the bridge and give them away free to these guys that are. And starving under the bridge, they don't see that you know this I have to be in the trenches right all the time I'm a trenches kind of guy, but I'm a winner today and 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 that's very contagious when you speak to somebody like me, very contagious because I tell you you see when, when people go to therapy they, they ask you a question they go, "Oh, so how are you feeling today? we don 't do that. We tell you how you 're feeling today until you can get the fog brain back because We're human beings. We're capable of doing anything. And people you say to me, "Oh, Rob, well, I can't become president," I beg to differ today. Don't come that crap with me. You can be anybody you want. Just get this going first. Believe it. Walk it. You know, do you know what we do, Frank? When they come to us and and they're broken down, but they have been somebody, or if they want to start a business, we take them to the Porsche dealerships and we drive the Porsche 911s, and then we take them to the million-dollar houses and we walk around them viewing. And what happens to the brain? It preempts. That success. So when success comes, because it will, when you go back to the Porsche dealership, the brain doesn't freak out and go, Oh my God, this is $150,000. What the brain does, it goes, Oh yeah, I remember this. This is very comfortable. Isn't that cool? Yeah.
1: Touch, touch, touch your dreams. That's, uh, we had, with Mike Weston on a 20 year entrepreneur journey, you know, started, you know, built his first website in college and 20 years later, he's got a multi-figure 8 business, you know, shared the same exact thing. He's like, yeah, take the vacation just go sit in the hotel lobby and just experience and be around success be around the energy like we were talking you know chasing dreams but obviously it's the same same product uh, you know same, same result here but I love it I'm so like today has been for me probably more than anything you're such an inspiration Rob I see I see so much of me and, and you you know obviously I'm, I'm, I'm really in kind of the second year of, of my business but uh, all the things you said all the give back to charity all the doing this for the impact not for not for the income Oh, that's me so i i i knew that this was going to be fire but it's far exceeded my expectations i want to get your opinion because you talked about permanent recovery and and you talked about you know fixing the brain and, and it's and it's not a solution and and i know you've been in the 12 steps and you, you talked about it here a couple of times you know uh, i don't want to get i don't want to get anybody in trouble here so i hope this question doesn't doesn't do that for you, you can't answer it with with an opinion. What's your take on the 12-step approach? Because I've had a few addiction experts on it. Um, you know, I've shared my, you know, my opinions. I believe it keeps people kind of shackled to the recovery process. Uh, you never fully get on the other side of things. So I'm just curious, like, what is your taking opinion on on a 12-step approach to recovery?
0: Well, if you look at <clears throat> the reason on 12 steps when they came out, the success around Akron, when it was uh, first developed was uh, 99 to 100%. So you look at, look at the same 12-step group today, it's 3%. So we've got to look at what's happening. So first of all, they have an amazing book there. I call the a big book. And it gives clear-cut direction how you can recover. But what happens is we talk about war stories. We talk about, you know, we go there to hit on girls. We go there to hit on men. If we're gay, where else can you go with 30 other men in the same room? You know, never realized why they had a men's meeting. I still don't get that, you know. We're alcoholics or we're not. So it's, it's you know, if you walk into the right meeting, get the right sponsor, taking you through the book properly, there's a hundred percent chance of you recovering from alcoholism, and getting your life back. So I I've got to tell you, Frank, in all the years I've been training school, colleges, which is about 20 odd years of going back to school, studying alcoholism, studying addictive brain, study, you know, science, uh, brain spotting, which is the latest thing that we do. I have to say that the first one six four of that big book is the best piece of literature I have ever read, pertaining so the alcoholic who wants permanent recovery, but you have to read the book, uh, book properly. And there's a lot of people in AA. From my travels around the world, I got to tell you this: any meeting anywhere that I've been through, ninety percent of people in there, are heavy drinkers, are going there for the wrong reason. So you have to be careful where you go. I think it's successful. I think it's amazing combined with therapy. Uh, yeah, it's very successful. You know, repetition strengthens and confirms what I do every day when I get up is I do a prayer. And then I go to the mirror and say, I love you 10 times. No other affirmation, just I love you. I'm storing that subconscious brain to when I have to make a decision. And then I write down five things I'm going to do that day. So here's what happens, right? If I do them five things, you know, breakfast, go for a run, do work, lunch, spend an hour with the wife. If I do all in five things, I've taken a step forward. But if I don't, I've taken a step back. So look at this, guys. This is Rob Kelly, gets up in the morning. This is the guy that's going to steal your girlfriend, steal your money, steal your car, fight you, and possibly kill you. This is why I wake up every morning. This is my prayers. This is my mirror work. This is my helping people, giving back and seeing patients. And what happens is I walk out the door like this. This guy's an amazing guy, Frank. This guy's done all the things we just mentioned. But the next morning, guess who wakes him up? It's this guy. So if I don't do all these things on a daily basis, this guy's going to be let loose. This guy's going to kill somebody.
1: And and because we understand how, how the brain works and where, you know, where dopamine comes from. By making that plan every morning and then actually going and doing those things, every time you check something off of your list, you're rewiring those neural pathways and you're getting hit of dopamine because it's moving you closer towards towards your goals. Um, bro, this is I amazing. I want to be uh, respectful. I know you got a, I know you got a call here coming up. We got a meeting uh, in the next few minutes. So I want to bring this home. Uh, we're probably going to have to have you back on. I feel like I could talk to you. Forever, um, So I'll be in touch with uh, with your assistant over there. We'll, we're actually going to be uh, speaking again next week for, for your show. So we'll get everything plugged down there. But uh, I've got a last question that we ask at the end of every show. But before we do that, Dr. Rob, if people are interested, obviously, they know how to get a hold of you, where to text you. Um, but if they want to get more about, you know, the Rob Recovery Group or where you're kind of hanging out and doing things online, socially, where's the best place for people uh, to connect you with?
0: So my website is spelled with my name. It's just R-O-B-B, two B's in Rob. Kelly, dot com. visit there. Amazon and uh, Walmart is, uh, is selling my book. Now, listen, every proceed that goes to that book is given to charity, not profits. proceeds. The book is, well, you know, it's called Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking, of course, because uh, four years ago, my daughter got in touch with my oldest one, and we sat back to college, and we loved each other, and four, four or five months ago, she opened my Manchester office, United Kingdom, as one of my therapists. So things do come round. So yeah, search Dr. Rob Kelly on any search engine. You'll find me and text me, call us, join us. Do whatever you need to do, guys, to get you to that next level and stop taking no for an answer. There are yeses out there coming. So every no I, I come up against, it's like the Beatles, it's one no down to a permanent yes. Every single time, you cannot fail with this mindset, guys. Let me give you my mindset. Try it for a day. I love it.
1: Absolutely love it. So just to connect the dots for everybody, that same young girl that stood at the bottom of those steps and brought us to tears. I know there was thousands of people crying during that part of the story. That same young girl, now a woman, is opening up. She opened up a Manchester office and rekindled that relationship. And now she's a part of your team of helping other people, of transforming the world, of doing this amazing work. Guys, if that doesn't give you the, the goosebumps and chills and show you the power of, of a transformation, show you the power of proper decisions and trusting the process. Thank you. Thank you so much for today, Rob. Our last question is when we end every single show with. Obviously, the title of this podcast is The Superman Life. And we got here, you know, I, I touched on a little bit, kind of, you know, it's a result of my own story, my own transformation. And how I live and kind of how I see the world now is much different than I did for the first th- 35 years of my life. So when I talk about living a Superman life, for me, it's the belief system and how I kind of view the world and how I'm supposed to show up every day. So it's an understanding or belief that we were put on this earth for a purpose. But then secondly, that we're required to take responsibility for that and do our part. So me living a superhuman life is when you bring those two together, uh, that's living a superhuman life. So I'd love to get the guest take here. So Dr. Rob Kelly, as we close out today, how would you define living a superhuman life?
0: You've got to live your best life every single day. Care for others, love others, you know, always be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally, you know, it's just a world here, we're getting on with. You know, if anyone says something that doesn't nice, they're really talking about themselves. And just live that life, guys, and and believe that God, or if you believe in the universe, whatever, has something better for you. And listen, the last thing I want to say is is really cool. It's like, we ask for so little, he wants to give us so much. If you're doing the right thing, if you're acting accordingly, dressing accordingly, and speaking accordingly, ask your God for shit. Ask him. I'm telling you, it's the freaking coolest thing. Like, you know, ask for, I get it. Ask for this, I get it. But you've got to be doing your own work. You've got to clear up the trauma and you've got to be intensively, not just work, intensively working with others. Always be available. Put yourself out there. It's worth it. I promise you.
1: It's amazing. I love you, Rob. Thank you so much. Uh, you guys heard it. Ask and knocking you shall enter, asking you shall receive. And I I, I butcher that a little bit, but it's right there in, in in the word. Guys, thank you so much. If if If, if today spoke to you, Uh, If it helps you, if there's somebody in your life that needs to hear this, help us continue to grow this podcast in one of two ways. First off, if you haven't done so yet, we love those five-star ratings and written reviews, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you're listening. But most importantly, if there's somebody that you know is struggling and needs to hear this, maybe there's somebody in your family, maybe there's somebody in your life that maybe has that alcoholic brain, but they haven't been woken up to it yet. Do us a favor sharing this conversation with them. But for Dr. Rob Kelly, Frank Rich, we love you guys. God bless. and We'll see you
2: next week.